Hello and welcome back to Tabling the Podcast. My name is Ariana Karp and I'm here with a fantastic group of actors that is going to take us through Act 3 of The Taming of The Shrew. For a second I thought it was The Taming of A Shrew, but that's an entirely different anonymous play that was written a couple years after this one. So let's get our, uh, let's get our articles correct there, Ariana. It's the Taming of The Shrew. Okay, there we go. Um, so what happened? We had act two. We had a incredibly interesting and intricate linguistically um, wooing scene with Kate and Petruchio. As we noted, most productions tend to almost stage the entire wooing scene as a acrobatic act, a physical comedy act, a stage combat sequence. But actually, there is one point of contact that is written into the script which is when she slaps him um or strikes him rather that's the only thing that is written in the script so continuing that um we then had a lot of people pretending to be someone they're not and we're going to see that continued into this next act we had um petruchio and kate are engaged much to her sort of disbelief Petruchio's off to buy rings and things in fine array um, in Venice, apparently. And that is where we kind of left things. We did have, we did have Tranio um, also who was pretending to be Lucentio. And we saw that sort of negotiation with, with Baptista, um, which was a very different way of, of wooing for Bianca. It was more wooing the father than wooing the daughter. Um, and all of this was done without Bianca there. So you got that going on. Um, so now we, we move on to see how Lucentio disguised as the scholar Cambio, meaning change. All right, we get it, Shakespeare. Um, is getting along with getting to know Bianca and Hortensio, who is in disguise as a character named Liccio, Liccio um, who is in disguise as a musician uh, to teach the two girls. If we recall the last time we left Hortensio, the lute had been smashed over his head by Kate. <laughs> He's now attempting to teach Bianca, hopefully with more success. We'll see. All right, whenever you're ready, friends. Fiddler, forbear, you grow too forward, sir. Have you so soon forgot the entertainment her sister Katharina welcomed you withal? But, wrangling pedant, this is the patroness of heavenly harmony. Then give me leave to have prerogative, and when in music we have spent an hour, your lecture shall have leisure for as much. Preposterous ass that never read so far to know the cause why music was ordained? Was it not to refresh the mind of man after his studies or his usual pain? Then give me leave to read philosophy, and while I pause, serve in your harmony. Sirrah, I will not bear these braves of thine. Why, gentlemen, you do me double wrong to strive for that which resteth in my choice. I am no preaching scholar in the schools. I'll not be tied to hours nor pointed times, but learn my lessons as I please myself. And to cut off all strife, here sit we down. Take you your instrument, play you the wiles. His lecture will be done ere you have tuned. You'll leave his lecture when I am in tune. That will be never. Tune your instrument. 
Where left we last? Here, madam. And y'all, I do not know Latin, so if anyone here does, like, please help. <laughs> um, does anyone I'm, know the the Latin? I, I looked I it up. I took it in middle school. Okay. There you go. It's been a while. Maybe you can. I did a Google Help Translate like for 30 solid minutes earlier today. So between your middle school class <laughs> and Google Translate, we're going to get there. Um, we will. We will. That would be great. I mean, it's a dead language. Nobody really speaks it anymore. Pronounce it how you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Here, madam, hic ibat si moi, hic est, si jeus tellus, hic soterat priami, regia, celsus sinius. Brava! <laughs> Construe them. Hic ibat, as I told you before, si moi, I am Lucentio. Hic est, son unto Vincentio of Pisa. See, Jaius, tell us, disguised thus to get your love. Hic soterat, and that Lucentio that comes a wooing. Priami is my man Tranio. Regia, bearing my port. Celsus Cineus, that we might beguile the old pantaloon. Madam, my instrument's in tune. Let's hear Oh, fie, the treble jars. Spit in the hole, man, and tune again. Now, let me see if I can conster it. Ik ibat si moi? I know you not. Ik est stigea telus? I trust you not. Ik est, oh, ik staterat priami? Take heed he, take heed he hear us not. Regia, presume not. Uh, I think it's Chelsea, might be Chelsea. That one, Sinis. Despair not. Madame, it's tis now in tune. Ugh, all but the bass. The bass is right. Tis the bass knave that jars. How fiery and forward our pedant is. Now, for my life, the knave doth court my love. Pedescule, I'll watch you better yet. In time I may believe, yet I mistrust. Mistrust it not. For sure, how the heck do you pronounce this name? Acides? Also, guys, I think my understanding of, of Latin is that you do pronounce every, like, sound phonetically. So it's probably not Simwa, it's probably Simois, but... Yeah, it's you know. going to be Simois. Um, and I would guess it's Telus. If it's anything um, like Italian, it's definitely you just say all the letters, the same yeah. sound every time. They're fairly similar. Yeah, I took Italian in college and I was very bad at it. So oh. that's where this is going. Um, <laughs> would you mind Zoe, saying um, Simois? Is that how you pronounced it? My, I, granted, I haven't taken Latin in years, but my instinct is Simois. And also, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, and then tell us I would, my instinct is Telus but everything else, I have no idea. <laughs> okay, cool, thank yeah, I you. I think they sound close enough to what they theoretically should be. I found a bad YouTube or Google how to pronounce it's Eacides, is what they say. I, I, I just popped I it in have... the chat. <laughs> I-acides. 
Iacity. Iacity. Iacities. Iacities you a question. <laughs> I have Iacity. And then Yeah. Okay. Iacities, yeah. And then Pedasculi for that weird one of Hortensio's lines. Pedasculi? Pedasculi. I would say Sculi. Oh, I would say Sculi. Pedasculi. Pedasculi. Well, granted, also, um, Shakespeare probably messed with it, all the language. Oh, yeah, and it's a made-up It's a made up yeah. word. It's not an actual yeah. word. <laughs> he just made it up. Hortensio made it up. Um, where would you like to go from? I think we had stopped on my line. Do we just want to pick it up there? That sounds great. Okay. Lovely. Mistrust it not. Uh, for sure, Iacides was Ajax, called so from his grandfather. I must believe my master, else I promise you I should be arguing still upon that doubt. But let it rest. Now, Letio, to you, good masters, take it not unkindly, pray, that I have been thus pleasant with you both. You may go walk and give me leave a while. My lessons make no music in three parts. Are you so formal, sir? Well, I must wait and watch withal, for but I be deceived, our fine musician groweth amorous. Madam, before you touch the instrument to learn the order of my fingering, I must begin with rudiments of art to teach you gamut in a briefer sort, more pleasant, pithy, and effectual than hath been taught by any of my trade. And there it is in writing, fairly drawn. I am past my gamut long ago. Yet read the gamut of Hortensio. Gamut I am, the ground of all accord. A, re, to plead Hortensio's passion. B, me. Bianca, take him for thy lord. C, fa ut, the loves with all affection, that loves with all affection. D, sol re, one cleft to notes have I. E, la me, show me pity or I die. Call you this gamut? Tut, I like it not. Old fashions please me best. I am not so nice changed true rules for old inventions. Mistress, your father prays you leave your books and help to dress your sister's chamber up. You know, tomorrow is the wedding day. Farewell, sweet masters both. I must be gone. Faith, mistress, then I have no cause to stay. But I have cause to pry into this pedant. Methinks he looks as though he were in love. Yet if thy thoughts, Bianca, be so humble to cast thy wandering eyes on every stale, seize thee that list. If once I find thee ranging, Hortensio will be quit with thee by changing. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, um, this is a different kind of wooing scene again that we saw. We've seen two... We saw the the we saw two different negotiations with Baptista in Act Two, right? We had the negotiation with Petruchio that was like, "Tell me about yourself." Ah, rich father. Mm, great. Okay, get her love and she's yours. Then we had this clambering and listing of the kind of furniture and Turkish linen that they had uh, with with uh, with our pantaloon and and. Um, Tranio disguised as Lucentio. So then we also had the 
in Act Two, we had the first encounter of Petruchio and Katerina. And now we have our other couple, there will be a couple by the end, of Lucentio and Bianca. What is your sense, Allie and Morgan, of the sort of, I don't know, the dynamic between these two characters and, 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 and what you sort of glean from their interactions so far? I know it's not, it's not a huge amount to go off of, but any impressions you have? For Bianca, I feel like, as she says in the uh, conjugations here of of this Latin, she's she's sort of hinting like, I don't know who you are, but uh, and and I don't really trust you yet. But you're cute, and hey, um, the the not it's not over yet. Don't don't lose hope yet. But uh, I'm not I'm not there yet. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that both Lucentio and um, Hortensio both come up with the same plot of going undercover as teachers to woo this girl, but then they're not trying to establish any kind of like chemistry or relationship. They're just going straight into like, hey, here's who I really am. This is why I'm here. So like, are we gonna like, <laughs> it's so bizarre and I love how she reacts to it and yeah. I think it's interesting too that Lucentio's like he says as I told you before <laughs> so he's like been over this already <sighs> and I just wonder like how many <laughs> lessons in we are at this point you yeah. know as I, as I told you, you before is a great ago. way to start as I told you before is like the best start to a, a, a to a uh, something <laughs> just to open on that it's always funny <laughs> it does it does seem funny to me that they they both seem to have the same tactic of like oh um isn't this isn't this sexy of me to put on a disguise like but neither of them actually know her you know that's the part that is like so funny to me is it's like expected like oh you did all this for me because you want to be with me but but it's like Nobody's actually asking her like what she thinks or how she feels about any of these. They're just like, this is, it's me, you know, like that is, that's like the extent of the wooing. Not like, I think you're so great. It's like, look at me. I've got a cool disguise. You know, it's, it's just very silly. Isn't that just like tiger pictures on Tinder though? Like, <laughs> <laughs> look at me. I'm at Machu Picchu. Look at me. <laughs> I'm holding like, a fish. Yeah, I was gonna say it's the holding of fish, dudes. It's like, why do you think this is gonna impress me? <laughs> and that's such a good Lucentio doesn't even pick like a romantic poem. He's not yeah. trying to like romance her at all. He's just like, hi, I'm here. It's I will accept your hand now. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and there is I, I I mean, both of these, they're so, I, I, I wonder if Shakespeare is drawing our attention to the fact that both of these ways of, of, of wooing um, are very kind of patronizing, like the way in which they're, they're like, I'm going to instruct you in who you are and who I am and how the two of us should interact. And there's something about it to me that's like really... Um, I, I think the important dynamic also is Hortensio and Lucentio, just like both being like, no, I had the bigger fish, you know, <laughs> like or whatever. 
whatever that means um that i think there is there is that the tension between the two of them and the constant sort of elbowing each other and like okay my turn my turn my turn um that they're both like i don't know about this guy you know is is fun yeah uh will did you did you have something yeah, it just it just keeps striking me that that dramatically, like what this whole theme seems to be doing is p- providing a contrast to what happened with Kate and Petruchio, and just sort of further showing how you know Petruchio is able to just to just clinch the deal with his pure intellect and 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 ballsiness, whereas these other the the, the wooing process for the other couple is just so absurdly um involved and and convoluted and like unnecessary disguises and all this competition and like nobody even knows each other and it's just like so cringy and so difficult which is just such a it's just such a contrast to the other couple and to me that's just like what i think shakespeare was trying to to do with it but obviously there's other stuff going on too but that is interesting. I think that is important that we're seeing a contrast. And the 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 mere fact that Petruchio is wooing on his own terms, he's like, this is who I am. This is what I have. I'm going to be really straight up and honest with their father. I have a lot of money. I'm looking for a wife. And this is these are my needs. Well, and <laughs> And these are my desires. And then like the other guys can't even be themselves you know they they make no attempt to like lucentio coming from such a fancy family could do exactly what tranio is doing and walk up and say hey i'm very interested in your daughter and woo as tranio is pretending to for her and actually get to know her and go through it's not like there's no class barrier you know but still they're choosing and same with hortensio he could like request time with Bianca to get to know her to try and woo her you know there's a whole procedure but they they choose not both of them are wealthy and they choose not to use the tools that they have well they're not doing that because Um, because they're not allowed to right because because the father has decided this whole thing is the result of the father deciding to lock her up and not let anyone formally court her until Kate is married right so so it wouldn't normally be like this, right? I, th- I, th- I mean, I think so, but I do think it's important that we wrapped up that like Baptista's like, holy shit, my, it looks like Kate's going to be married next week. So who wants to marry Bianca? Like he, he has just like sort of That's opened true. the door. That's true. As yeah. it were. Um, so these guys, there's really nothing holding these guys back from, from actually appealing to, or, or writing to her, doing any of the sort of typical things. No, no. Why now they're pulling off the mask? And maybe now they're saying, it's me. I want to marry you because finally Kate is going to be out of the way or something. I don't know. Yeah. The most most surefire way to win a woman is to dress up like your servant, have your servant dress up like you, (laughs) uh, get a few days in, and then reveal, you know, they love it. Love it. It's always worked for me in the past. <laughs> <laughs> Allie, you were gonna you were gonna say I'm something. I was having trouble earlier. remembering. Um did he say that no one could court Bianca or did he say that Bianca couldn't get married? 
I think he was saying that she couldn't get married until Kate is married. I th and that's an important distinction, right? That that. She but he does say he'll mew her up, doesn't he? And then isn't the whole? No, your character says. I think Gremio's the one who was like, "Why do you mew her up?" Oh, like right. when she was literally just in the street, right? <laughs> like with <laughs> Baptista, he's like, "Why are you taking her away?" So the tutor disguise like, thing is just totally here. pointless, then. Just completely. I I think so. I think there is there is no what I struggle with with the whole disguise thing is there's no danger. Like if they were discovered, it would be like they're both wealthy, well-to-do guys. It's not like they're really <laughs> risking anything. And that's what I find so difficult sort of about this this subplot. Yeah, Zoe, please go they're, ahead. They're playing a game. They're more interested in the competition and the prize of right. Bianca than actually wooing her. Yeah. Right. The game to them. Yeah. Absolutely. Of like the, the game that the Lord plays on Christopher Sly here. Or, oh, let's just have some fun here. Like big how academic brain, dramatic here, and like see how much fun we can have, and and how we can achieve this this crazy goal. See how long we can play this until we're found out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's that is such a great. Thank you for making that connection to the very top of the play. It's so easy to forget, and you understand why so many productions cut the play within a play because it just sort of disappears. But that the, the themes that we talked about in the induction sort of really come home to roost uh, in this act, just in terms of deception and people pretending to be somebody who they're not and who's lying to whom and who's bewildering whom and when does the lie become your reality um, is, is a really interesting uh, play within a play. <laughs> Can I ask a, a technical question? Yeah, of course. I just, I don't understand the last two lines of this scene. Mm. It sees thee that list. It's important. And once I find thee ranging, Hortensia will be quit with thee by change. What does that mean? So, okay. He's doing this strange thing. The last sort of four lines, I think, is is all connected, right? The, the, the last from, yet if thy thoughts, Bianca, he's speaking, this is called, this is what um, is called an apostrophe. It's as if you're speaking to someone who isn't there, right? Frequently, there's an apostrophe to a concept like death. Oh, death. Oh, God. Oh, whatever. But here, this is, it's like Bianca was still there. And it's, oh, yet if thy thoughts, Bianca, be so humble humble here does not mean like oh i'm so humble it means low class so he's basically like i don't know about this this teacher guy but if you if you bianca it's, it's really ugly actually it's a really ugly little thought which is essentially if your thoughts deign to stoop so low as to be interested in this teacher um to cast your wandering eyes on every ridiculous lover that comes in your path sees thee that list. So let him seize that want. Um, and then if once I find the roaming essentially, which to me has a sexual connotation of like ranging around um, Hortensio will be, even with you by replacing you. 
with someone else. So it doesn't seem that Hortensio's like, yeah, I'm totally done with Bianca. Love her, love her, love her. If she's even interested in anyone else, I'm out. Um, and it's really, it's a, it's a really kind of, for lack of a better word, it's like a really icky thought. It's, it's really degrading to Bianca and essentially is, a is, is going to be, it tells us a lot about where Hortensio is going to go when he, uh, finds out that Lucentio and Bianca are a thing and he's like well screw that I'm gonna marry that rich widow you know like he doesn't he doesn't do anything to try and and stop it it's like too much energy <laughs> um so that's kind of the ending I I wonder if we're supposed to take the ending of the scene as a sign that like oh maybe we've jumped over the Hortensio hurdle already because if if Bianca is even a, the tiniest bit interested in Lucentio then Hortensio will drop his suit. So he's sort of he's sort of flagging himself as a loser, basically saying like, "I will give up at the slightest sign of anything that I don't like." <laughs> well, once again, it's a game to him. He's not actually interested in Bianca. He's interested in winning. Yeah. And once he knows he's lost, he he's ready to move on, find something else to win. Yeah. It must be really frustrating for, for Hortensio too. I wonder Zoe, if you, it, it's just because it's like Hortensio's always seems to be in competition with someone like he and, and, and Gremio have been, you know, rivals for who knows how long. And here's this new guy that came in and then Luch Etranio disguises Lucentio. It's like, Oh my God, there's three other people who all want the same th thing. This is, this is too much. Well, it's also, also, what it does romantically is it it sort of disqualifies him from our sympathy, right? Because we don't want to be rooting for more than one guy. We want to be rooting for the guy that really loves her or whatever. And so we have to sort yeah. of disqualify the other suitors. And and I feel like the, the Gremio is already disqualified because he's old and creepy and he's obviously just totally inappropriate for her. And Hortensio, like, could maybe be sympathetic if he wasn't a jerk. So this is Shakespeare kind of going, and this one's a jerk, you know what I mean? So you don't that <laughs> <laughs> and oh, that... this one's a jerk yeah coy go awesome. ahead i just i wanted to point out what speaking of hortensio um this line madam before you touch the instrument had me laughing very uh loudly out loud i just find that like once it like as a line also like as i told you before as a way to start a line <laughs> as a way to start an instruction with before you do anything let me tell you everything about this I just love that idea of like, okay, let me teach you how to do this. But before you do it, we're going to have a little lecture. <laughs> teach you a scale. <laughs> like, I love that. It's like, it's so I know good. you've probably learned other people's scales, but mine's better. So we're going to learn my scale. <laughs> like, I also, I love her response that, you know, at least with Lucentio, she's like recognizing what he's saying. But yeah. here she's like, this isn't a scale. Like, I don't like this. <laughs> Completely ignores like the message. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And and she's like, I, I love that she's like, I'm a little bit old fashioned. <laughs> like, I don't like these new scales. Like there's something really Dram funny about that. <laughs> Dramatically, it is nice to see how like there, there are two attempts at playing, like, I'm going to do one thing, but I'm actually doing something else. Like, I'm going to be teaching you, but I'm actually wooing you. And it's nice to see Bianca show, like, oh, this is how you react when 
when the woman's cool with it and is like interested. And this is how you act when they're not okay with it. You pretend you're not wooing. You just, you, you ignore that secondary part and you just acknowledge the public statement, which is kind of neat to see the. I would, yeah. I would venture to say all women have done on many occasions. <laughs> what? Yeah, I did. totally didn't catch that. <laughs> you know, like... Right. She must be very mechanism. good at like feel, you know, I mean, it's, it's like the the contemporary analogy would be like the, you know, the like hot girls on Instagram who get 5,000 messages a day and like just the absurd amount of attention like attractive women get. And like, she must be so good at like dealing with that by now. You know what I mean? She she totally has the friend zone thing like down. <laughs> She's like, friend zone. <laughs> um, Thanks, I, yeah. bud. <laughs> buddy old pal mate um <laughs> i love the idea that that each one is sort of circling around because i i love how jealous lucentio and hortensio both are like they like they're like well i'm not teaching but i refuse to leave her alone you know so i i could see you know as a director like thinking about the staging like sort of centering Bianca in the middle and then the other person's just like sort of creeping around and like pretending to do something but always like really suspiciously looking back and Bianca's just like "Mm -hmm." and I love I I would love the idea if I was staging this that like Hortensia was like this is so good like look at my disguise like he has like a fake nose or something and he's like it's me you know and she's like oh wow I've I haven't seen that trick before you know (laughs) like I just think there would be something so there's something so funny about the visual humor of like these guys do the exact same thing within like half a page and so the idea of like I've, I've been editing the two gentlemen um discussions that we were talking about the sort of some sometimes the romantic uh advice is very much like a pickup artist giving advice to another pickup artist um and this idea this idea that like the advice is like really bad and the moves just don't work but the men believe that it works and that's where their status comes from right and so in this it's like it's like (laughs) like, they're like oh yeah totally works and you're like really does that ever work and they're like yeah every time every time you know so that 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 it's again it's it's zoe what you were saying it's more about the game it's more about actually it's not so much about the women it's about their status with other men um which is really what's being negotiated here and that they're both so they neither of them has any faith that bianca actually has feelings about them right otherwise they wouldn't be so jealous about every every move that every move that she makes um Ari, do you think that yeah. this this like setup of the the suitors in disguise as tutors is Tutor something tutors. that Shakespeare came up with? This or do, is do you think this is some sort of like stock scene out of Comedia? Oh, that that's a great like question. It might be. I was wondering earlier because of like how Moliere has Tartuffe, right? It feels like feels like it was something that lasted for. Someone made. Someone wrote a thesis about this. <laughs> Undoubtedly, yeah. <laughs> Reach out to us at tabling at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> exactly. I yeah. I do. Um, it does seem to me that the wooer in disguise as somebody is like a is like a trope um, that is 
sort of as old as time. It's almost like Cyrano a bit as well, isn't it? Yeah. That oh my God, thing. Cyrano keeps coming up. And this is so funny. Cyrano came up in two gents. I literally just yeah. finished editing one thing. It was like, oh yeah, he could totally, Cyrano was turned into, I believe, a verb. Like Cyrano the shit out of this scene. <laughs> I was like, I love that Cyrano's now a verb. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, there is like historical precedence with like um, Catherine Howard and the relationships that like, happened in her life particularly with like her piano teacher mm. um, so there is like some history about in the english crown about like teachers doing things they shouldn't with their pupils <laughs> yes indeed yes indeed and the the whole idea of the i mean there's a really interesting because there are so many servant master dynamics, it's also important to remember the master apprentice dynamic and that power dynamic, which is implicit in a tutor, right? That there's a master and that the student is the apprentice at all levels. So that there's, you know, when, when the power dynamic gets a bit, a bit flexy, sexy, um, <laughs> a lot of things can, a lot of things can happen. Um, and there's, there's a definitely historical precedent for that. Yeah. Koi, please. Yeah, I guess another question would be, <clears throat> how many opportunities would um, eligible men be allowed to be alone with an eligible young woman without a chaperone? And I think the tutor is one of those positions. It's like that's you can actually be in a room as a tutor. So it's it's one of the few I would guess maybe one of the few covers that you could use. That's a very uh, good point. And what's so interesting to me is no one was there supervising kate right when she met petruchio for the first time i also think the idea of a chaperone is also very much i i could be wrong about this come at me elizabethan jacobean family historians um tabling at gmail.com uh but i do feel like the chaperone thing is definitely a product of puritans and the victorians um, and that there there were looser rules, I think, than we sort of project back onto. The Elizabethans were a lot more comfy talking about sex. Um, there wasn't such a sort of the whole like Britishness yeah. and our ideas about prudish Englishness Victorian or, uh, yeah. comes from the Victorians who, as all of our Lambda teachers said, ruined everything. Um, so... <laughs> The the there is a there is a licentiousness there is a sexiness to a lot of Elizabethan culture that I think we we it's very easy to forget because we think of them as being Victorian, which is a totally different time period with totally different ethics and ridiculous rules. And you don't everything. see any sort of chaperoning like type of courtship behavior anywhere in Shakespeare. Like it's pretty well the nurse with Juliet. The nurse is always around her if she's in public. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm. I feel like that's a younger character, though, than most of the other. She's definitely younger, but she's in that eligible marriage, technically zone. It just may be on the extreme illegally young side of it. <laughs> younger than she were happy mothers made. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Was that a dig at Italians? I can't tell. No, that's just a line. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just wondering if Shakespeare was making a dig at Italians. Oh, oh. I, <laughs> I never thought of that until just now, but now I'm angry. 
<laughs> All right, said Tillo. <laughs> Calm yourself. <Curses>. Um, <laughs> did anyone have any other thoughts on on um, Act Three, Scene One? Yes, Allie, um, please. I was just going to say, as far as Lucentio goes, um, I definitely think part of it for him is the game and the competition. But I think another part of it for him, which I think is the element that makes him more sympathetic for an audience, is like the idea of like romance and adventure and the idea of Bianca. And that like, you know, our introduction to him is like, I'm going on this adventure and I'm going to find myself and I'm going to learn things. And it's very like sweeping and romantic. And he just like, falls so hard when he sees her that I think for him I think part of this might be like creating that kind of like romantic adventure like he can't be a pirate but he can pretend to be a teacher um <laughs> I love that and I think That's... maybe the the competition part comes in as he has all these scenes where he's like eavesdropping on the other suitors um but I think a big part of it for him is that I love that. And and that because we established in act one when I love that moment when Trani is like, yo, master, like, wake. Oh, God, I got to wake him up. You know, it, I, that idea of this sort of fairy tale, like someone just <laughs> I just hit my head on the stove um, kind of feeling of like I have I've just been floored um, is really great. That's like a, that's a really great uh memory for us to to have and I think sometimes I've seen stagings that that lose this like the presume not is because Lucentio like tries to make a move on her which I don't think is in the text but it, it also colors that interaction in a really uh, troubling mm. way um, which I've, I've definitely seen that like no 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 don't presume to um, which actually makes me like Bianca even more. But um, but the presume not is like, I, the way I, I, I got was like, you haven't really asked me yet. You know, don't presume that I feel yeah, the way like, that you do. Nice poem, um, but like, let me Yeah, talk. that was a nice yeah. poem. Let me, let me have some thoughts on this and get to know you maybe. Crazy idea. One yeah, thing well. that also, like, dramatically, if you are directing this, uh, is to think about is, like, is is there really any competition for Lucentia, at least in his mind and in her? Like, how much more attractive is he than everyone else? You know what I mean? Because you could play it where it's, like, he's this, like, really good-looking guy, and the other guys are, like, 60 and just, like, like there's just no... 90 i thought you said right They're well I, I think my character is 90 but like we don't know how old hortensio is we don't know if he's like totally disgusting like and it plays a little differently if he's actually feels like he's competing or if he's kind of like i got this one and she's like whoa whoa just because you're cute doesn't mean you got, you know what i mean yeah. like that's kind of a different scene yeah, absolutely. And I actually think that most productions do make it so that Lucentio is like the dashing young man and everyone else is a little bit, you know, it's the sort of othering of the of the two other suitors. I would love to see a um 
I would love to see a production where that was complicated by like Hortensio being like super suave and whatever. And like Lucentio kind of being like a naive, you know, young scholar or something. I, I, I just, when you make it too easy, I think sometimes it becomes a fable and not a Shakespeare play. Right. Yeah. And the idea that like, she does have a choice and there are there isn't a clear choice complicates the play in a way that's really appealing to me yeah go ahead Ellie I want to see a production where Lucentio is like a really awkward super nerdy like still going through puberty like all elbows and then Hortensio is just like a silver fox yes totally is Tranio super sexy too (laughs) oh yeah and so he's like, oh, yeah. you, you, you be me. I can't do it. Bianca <laughs> <laughs> really has a choice. I mean, she... This is Bianca's choice, period. Is that- I mean, that's a really good point, right? It, is that it's really... Her relationship seems to be much more about what her dad wants, right, than what she wants. However, by the end of the play, Bianca is the one who chooses Lucentio and gets married in secret and she makes her choice. Um, but it is a really good point, Elizabeth, of like, wait, does she even have a choice? Um, that is, is a really great question. You know, would she have a choice is another question as well. Well, if we, if it's played that she has absolutely no choice, then the whole thing becomes a bit like, it falls a little flat or it becomes sort of improbable that any of this is happening, right? So we have to assume that she, you know, that it matters uh, to some degree what she thinks of these guys. But I think it kind of goes to show that both of these, in some way, both of these daughters are really spoiled, you know? Like both of these, both of these sisters are, yeah, they're in a very privileged position, both of them. I think that's, Clear. that's great yeah. i th- i think that is absolutely correct that we never lose sight of the fact that it is talked about how much money that these girls yeah. grew up with at all I, times yeah i think it would be interesting um seeing if like a, a production if bianca thinks that she has a choice uh but she doesn't, you know, like her dad's left her out of that conversation entirely. And he's always babying her and like, be nice to your sister, go inside. Like, you know, <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we'll see a little bit, we'll see a little bit, maybe this is my transition to the next scene. We'll see a little bit more about uh, Catherine's interiority and how quickly the other characters are willing to ridicule her when she has an embarrassing experience in a public space, which is that her husband-to-be doesn't show up <laughs> um, for their marriage. Uh, so let's let's transition to act three, scene two. Um, and Grayson, I was wondering if you could read Baptista for us because Carol is not here, if that would be- <sighs> Sure. Wonderful. Okay, so whenever you are ready. <clears throat> We'll probably, because this is a longer scene, we'll probably stop at some point and have a little chit-chat. Senor Lucentio, this is the pointed day that Catherine and Petruchio should be married, and yet we hear not of our son-in-law. What will be said, what mockery will it be to want the bridegroom when the priest attends to speak the ceremonial rites of marriage? What says Lucentio to the shame of ours? No shame but mine. 
I must forsooth be forced to give my hand opposed against my heart unto a mad brain rudesby, full of spleen, who wooed in haste and means to wed at leisure. I told you I, he was a frantic fool, hiding his bitter jests in blunt behavior, and to be noted for a merry man, he'll woo a thousand, point the day of marriage, make feast, invite friends, and proclaim the bands, yet never means to wed where he hath wooed. Now must the world point at poor Catherine and say, lo, there is mad Petruchio's wife. If it would please him, come and marry her. Patience, good Catherine and Baptista too. Upon my life, Petruchio means but well, whatever fortune stays him from his word. Though he be blunt, I know him passing wise. Though he be merry, yet withal, he's honest. Would Catherine had never seen him, though. Go, girl, I cannot blame thee now to weep, for such an injury would vex a very saint, much more a shrew of thy impatient humor. Master? Master, news, and such old news as you never heard of. Is it new or old, too? How may that be? Why is it not news to hear Petruchio's coming? Is he come? Why, no, sir. What then? He is coming. When will he be here? When he stands where I am and sees you there. But say what to thine old news? Why, Petruchio is coming in a new hat and an old jerkin, a pair of old breeches thrice turned, a pair of boots that have been candle cases, one buckled, another laced and with two broken points, an old rusty sword ta'en out of the town armory with a broken hilt, and chapeless, his horse hipped with an old mothy saddle and stirrups of no kindred. Besides, possessed with the glanders. What is glanders? What is that? Glanders is a mumps-like disease. So this is like a very Ooh. sick, diseased, old, tired horse. Ew, okay. <laughs> possessed with the glanders. And like to mows in the chine? 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 Okay, this chine? is like really, really... Bad. Yeah, likely, this is weird old language. <laughs> to mose in the chine and likely to rot in the spine is what this is talking about. Chine and spine and likely to mose in the chine. Troubled or with the lampass, infected with the fashions. <laughs> and, and lampus here is a spongy gum tissue. So this horse is like on death's door, essentially, and infected with the fact this, this is a gross horse. <laughs> yeah, this poor horse is like, should not be carrying anyone and should be in a horse hospital. <laughs> Full of wing dolls, sped with spavins, rayed with yellows, past okay. cure of the fives. <laughs> I say that, okay, so wing Please. dolls here were soft tumors on the <laughs> Bed with the spavens here are bony leg tumors. <laughs> Defiled with jaundice because yellow jaundice. Yeah. Right? We still kind of have that. <laughs> Past cure of the fives are like swollen glands. Like this poor horse is just like a walking corpse. Yeah. It shouldn't be alive. Oh, there's more. There's more. Uh, let's talk about how bad this horse is. <laughs> bad horse. Um... <laughs> Stark spoiled with the staggers, be non with the bots, swayed in the back and shoulder shotten, 
near-legged before and with a half-checked bit and a headstall of sheep's leather, which being restrained to keep him from stumbling hath been often burst and now repaired with knots, one girth six time pieced and a woman's crupper of allure, which hath two letters for her name, fairly set down in studs, and here and there pieced with pack thread. So, Jesus. I know, that is quite <laughs> a speech. Essentially, this, like, horse could not be more diseased if it was, like, an actual disease. It has everything wrong with a horse that could possibly be wrong with a... <laughs> Poor Jade has the bots, right? Right. Remember the first carriers, yeah. second carriers from uh, Henry IV. <laughs> the 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 bots here are uh, parasitic maggots that would um, that would trouble horses. And then also, so he's not even talking. Not only talking about this poor, diseased, beaten down horse, but also the way the horse is decked out. Right. All of this, like the bridle, is not right the it's broken and it's instead of being replaced with new leather it's just been knotted it's all <laughs> thread barren there's like it's like a something made out of cheap velvet that's lining it that's got the wrong initials on it you know so this is just like petruchio is is cheap's be here like the opposite of that scene in Fast and the Furious where they talk about how great their car is. Like, she's got a turned yeah. down V8. It's the exact opposite of that. Exactly. Of that Literally, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> People have really strange relationships with their horses in Shakespeare, as we saw in Henry V. Anyway, let us continue. Glorious. <laughs> Who comes with him? Oh, sir, if his lackey. For all the world comparison, like the a horse and with a linen with a linen stock on one leg and a kersey boot hose on the other guarded with a red and blue list an old hat and the humor of 40 fancies pricked in it for a feather a monster a very monster in apparel and not like a christian footboy or a gentleman's lackey his some odd humor picks him to this fashion yet oftentimes he goes but mean apparel i'm glad he's come howsoever he comes why sir he comes not Didst thou not say he comes? Who, that Petruchio came? Aye, that Petruchio came. Oh, sir, I say his horse comes with him on his back. Oh, aye, that's all one. Ooh, there's a little thing. Nay, by St. Jamie. Jamie? Jamie. I hold Jamie, you a penny. Jamie, like, Jamie. like James. Nay, by St. Jamie, I hold you a penny. A horse and a man is more than one, and yet not many. Okay, let's pause there before Petruchio comes in. <laughs> um, and just discuss this. So so just to sort of sum up what has happened, we open the scene. Everyone's waiting for Petruchio, right? Like Kate is in her wedding dress. They're dressed to go to church. The appointed hours come and Petruchio is nowhere in sight. It's almost like, was he a dream? Did it all happen? What? And they put in all of this because this is the eldest daughter of a very rich man who's about to get married, right? And I think it's really important that we keep rem reminding ourselves that Baptista, very, very rich um, because Petruchio is coming dressed as poorly and in as poor taste as he possibly can. I, saw, I, I just recalled, recalled um, a production that I saw at American Players Theater ages ago. One of my favorite actors, Jim DeVito, was playing Petruchio. And they had all been kind of wearing nice, like 
contemporary nice clothes and he came in with like a leather vest and like a bandana and he was very like harley davidson and he's like hey where's my wife you know it was just like such it was so great it was so shocking because he had been so put together in the previous scene and to come in and just be like yeah i'm a totally different genre um today uh and then there was the the shakespeare retold uh version of taming of the shrew where the petruchio character was uh very was like in the aristocracy but had no money right and kate was in the government but and was super wealthy but needed a aristocrat husband so that's why she is was marrying this guy and he got really drunk on their wedding day and comes in dressed in drag because he's like i think she needs to know this is what i like to do so he shows up to their wedding this like super conservative wedding dressed in drag and she's like Argh! you know she's just like having a fit in the corner um but yeah, I think we, we get the point, right, with these interpretations, but this is just like so not what is done. Like weddings were, and in my cynical view, are to this day sometimes not so much about the couple, but about the presentation of the couple for everyone, right? Um, like the pageantry. The pageantry, right? It's really important. It has tradition. It has symbolism. There's like a lot that goes into the exchange. Um, and so to sort of blow it off the way that Petruchio is doing would be a hugely scandalous thing to happen during this time. Yeah, Koi. I, I just always remember someone once told me that like the ritual of marriage, like you're saying, it's it's not about the couple because they've decided to be together. It's about the families of both couples that are now forced to be family. <laughs> That's so sad. That's so sad. But no, yeah. I, 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 I do think that there is something really important um, and, in, and in Shakespeare's time about the public declaration right that makes it real the public declaration of the intent to marry was all that was required really in order for a marriage to happen that there that they you needed to declare in church like on a couple subsequent sundays your intention to marry and that sort of made it real and so the the public the ritual the tradition the weight of this ceremony was so important and to sort of blow it off like this, the way that he's doing to show up late to not, he's a very wealthy man as we established in act two, he's not displaying his wealth, right? And for these rich people, weddings were even more about ostentatious displays of wealth. Um, so he's, in this interesting way, bucking convention. And as we'll see in act four, I think he's making a point that just because you have money doesn't mean you have everything, right? And that's that's at least my interpretation of Petruchio, that he's like, yeah, we could have fine gowns, but that's not everything. We gotta have a, we gotta have a happy marriage, you know? And in this weird way, it's like a very anti-capitalist... <laughs> approach to marriage that's like really refreshing to me somehow i don't know maybe that's just me um, oh that horse sounds gross though <laughs> poor horse i know someone <laughs> I know, PETA. somebody called Peter. 
Go, Peter. This it's maybe at least get a better horse, man. Like totally. Uh, like, <laughs> I was trying to make a point, but yeah, take that kind of pasture. So in terms of like why he's doing this and what the effect of this behavior is, I mean, it's pretty interesting psychologically. And I think, <clears throat> you know, it, it, obviously he, on some level, this is an assertion of his, of his will or his dominance or something, right? That he's, he's sort of saying like, I'm marrying you in this public way, but I am going to do it entirely my way. And I don't give a shit about anybody else. Like it's hmm. this kind of, it, it is sort of tyrannical in that sense that he, he will just ruin her wedding, you know, in the conventional sense, because he can, and he, you know, so, but like, what, what is he hope to, hoping to achieve? I mean, is that it, do you think, or is there, uh, yeah, like on some level, is is this a, a the ultimate neg? I think, in some ways, and maybe maybe I'm just reading such a like romantic view into this, but it's this sense of like, well, Kate, I just want to like kind of test you. Like, does that make any sense? Because she's expect everybody's expecting them to be there. So the fact that he shows up late is almost like a, I don't know. I don't want to say it's like a it's a like a play or something but maybe it's just like oh you didn't realize that you were okay marrying me until all of a sudden I wasn't showing up like maybe you're stuck with Gremio or something I don't mm -hmm. know you know like just because <laughs> I think we see later in the scene you know also no, taking power I, maybe I'm getting ahead of that's actually power. exactly what Koi was saying I think Koi said that it's the ultimate neg which yeah again coming back to this like pickup artist language the idea <laughs> yeah. of this in in like seduction that's what there's like a term for this called negging. Yeah, well, neg negative. Yeah, using negative things as opposed to positive things. So like not saying to the person that they're good or you like them or like using it's negative. Like teasing comments. them, like 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 you know teasing a girl instead of complimenting her. It's supposed to make her want you more, right? Or like so so the idea is you know you're you're showing your. Uh, Oh, You're kill me now. <laughs> it's like playing hard to get, right? It's like making her want you more by by not, not being available. You know. like, yeah, yeah, because she's the one who in elementary school. <laughs> I was gonna say it's basically pulling pigtails. Yes. But also like, <laughs> Yeah, if we just look at the if we just look at the script though and don't try to make assumptions, like if we just look at the script, we can just know that both that both both members of this couple, they're both wild. They're both wild. They're, you know, maybe Patricia was just, maybe it's not about that. You know, we can go into this whole psychological manipulation thing, but maybe he was really just talking to someone or doing something and that he's wild. And I think the fact is, is that he does show up. Or yeah. maybe he actually like yeah. really likes her and it's a psychological game with himself. And he's like, no, I don't really care. Like I'll show up late. Like I'll dress in this crazy outfit because like he doesn't want to have to show his vulnerability or something. I want to, I want to actually try and connect this to, to something that I know I brought up in a, in a previous um, act discussion, which is that I wonder this is my wonder if it's, it isn't so much a psychological manipulation of Kate as it is an imitation of how much her violent behavior disrupts public events. Definitely. Right? Yeah. So that he is imitating the effect that she has on most people, but in his own nonviolent way. And that 
through this imitation, <coughs> drawing attention to the fact of how ridiculous it is of her behavior, right? And in this way, this, this, this idea of imitation therapy, where like for kids who sometimes have really severe behavioral issues that sometimes those psychologists will imitate their behavior right after they do it. And the reinforcement of like, oh, wow, that is ridiculous, you know, <laughs> can sometimes really jar uh, people from, from, you know. I really like the choice of, of Petruchio playing it 100% sincere. And like, there's just, this is who he is. Absolutely. And like a Russell, Br Russell Brandt, is it? Russell Brand. Yeah. yeah, Russell Brand, like he feels like a Petruchio, just, yeah, all right, okay, yeah, this is great. Where have you been? Oh, no, I was just up all night, you know, gambling or whatever. Like, you know, I don't know. I, it's it's, a, it's so funny. But then we're going to see that, I think later in this scene, in a minute, that he, when it comes to the wedding, he then is completely out of control and, like, knocks the priest over. and Which is, is exactly what Kate has done to the right. tutor. And her sister, right. like, right, like smashing the loot over its head. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, I love that. That it's a mirror. Yeah, interesting. That, that, I don't know that he is that he is imitating. Yeah, let's get into the text of of Petruchio. I, also, uh, like, well done, Myri. Like, Biondello in this scene is like so <laughs> difficult. So, like, seriously, like, well done. Also, I just I think that like the interpretation of Biondello as being sort of like not very smart and incredibly <laughs> earnest is probably the best interpretation and i think most likely totally was intended did. but i want to put out there that you could definitely do him as so sarcastic that people actually think he's stupid where yes. he's just like saying stuff to like i i don't think it's like how it's supposed to be done but i think you could i <laughs> just like oh yeah no oh, i didn't I say he was coming love that i said his horse was like coming sassy observer <laughs> kind of feel to the like oh yeah he's wearing a whole bunch of shit and his horse is <laughs> he's dressed in garbage Are basically so uh you know, yeah like, that's that like Aubrey Plaza in uh, Parks and Rec. In, like, I want to be on Delo played by Aubrey Plaza. Yes, that's, that's what I want. Aubrey Plaza Just playing like, herself no. in everything. Uh, I don't know. I, don't... I didn't say he was coming. <laughs> I said his horse was coming. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, yes. I love it so much. Yes, please. Yes, please. Um, and I love the fact, again, this, this to me... Oh, these early plays, the servant master dynamic, right, is really interesting because it always seems like the servant is outwitting the master character, which happens with Lance and um, and Speed and their respective masters, masters, um, uh, Valentine and and uh, Proteus in Two Gentlemen of Verona. That like, you know, Pro Valentine is like nothing it's not me nothing is here and lance is like oh can i hit nothing and proteus is like what are you talking about who do you want to hit just nothing i just want to hit nothing you know and, and this this whole like who's on first thing just continues to go at like super dramatic moments and you're like oh this is where you know just looking at the seeds of comedy and seeing that this kind of wordplay that biandello is engaged with with both Tranio and Baptista this is where like vaudeville comes from this is like the roots of that is just this 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 one two hey you know this yeah, sort of like one, two. definitely didn't make it up 
No, 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 absolutely not. There's like, if if you got uh, Brit and Koi and and Will, if you remember that truly bizarre class that we took at Lambda on like the sort of roots of of British comedy and how they, I don't <laughs> even know what that class was about, I but it was a, it was an interesting concept. Let me just say it was a very interesting concept for a class, and I. I, I still don't understand. I mean, that was the big the execution, the, but yeah. <laughs> the big thing for me with that class was was the idea that that the British and the Europeans reverse their comedies with with the Europeans traditionally going back to Commedia and and even Roman and Greek liter like plays. You're, it's the it's the lower class that are outsmarting and uh, the upper class. And so the joke is that the upper class and, and the rich and powerful people are fools or being made fools of. And somehow that transition when it went across the channel and it became the upper class making fun of the stupid lower class, which to me just like doesn't, I don't get it. Like it's, it's really jarring. Yeah. Well, and, and Shakespeare, especially in these early plays, always has the servant like five steps ahead of the, the, um, so something in the last 400 years. Yeah. It's a class thing, right? It's a class thing. Anyway, let's get into Petruchio's language. Um, cause I think it's really quite telling about some of the stuff we've been talking about. So let's jump on in. Come, where be these gallants? Who's at home? You're welcome, sir. And yet I come not well. And yet you halt not. Not so well apparelled as I wish you were. Would better I should rush in thus. But where's Kate? Where's my lovely bride? How does my father? Gentles methinks you frowned, and wherefore gaze this goodly company as if they saw some wondrous monument, some comet or unusual prodigy. Why, sir, you know this is your wedding day. First we were sad, fearing you would not come. Now sadder that you have come so unprovided. By doth this habit, shame to your estate, and I soar to our solemn festival. And tells us what occasion of import hath all so long detained you from your wife, and sent you hither so unlike yourself. Tedious it were to tell and harsh to hear, sufficeth I am come to keep my word, though in some part enforced to digress, which at most leisure I will so excuse as you shall well be satisfied with all. But where's Kate? I stay too long from her. The morning, we the morning wears, tis time we were at church. Sorry, I just really wanted to say before, and I didn't get to that about the last little piece, is that it's really important that Catherine exits weeping. Yes. That's a huge yes. part of the text that happens for the first time. And... Anyway, you just and she's so that. upset she leaves, she's, right? She's so upset she exits. She exits weeping. I mean, it's quite okay. Yeah, Elizabeth, I think that's really yeah, great. And I, I think that's really, really important to point out that she's like, I'm forced to win this guy. She never once says like, I'm afraid of him. And that's why I don't want to marry him. She's like, I'm going to be so publicly humiliated because he didn't show up to our wedding right? That seems to be what's motivating her is for the first time, she's thinking about how other people perceive her, right? And that's something, thank you for flagging that like, we haven't seen, she hasn't cared how other people think about her. But mm -hmm. suddenly, she's thinking about this is going to be humiliating for me. Yeah. And then, then she's used to humiliating people. She's not where is feeling humiliated. <laughs> like, yeah. Where is where it is shows, my yeah? 
it shows how important this this is to her i think that you know that she's like she's gone her whole life being told she's not good enough and now finally like it's her big day and and then you know it's it's going to be ruined in that like we see that she really cares about that it's not it's not nothing to her yeah grayson did you have did you have something to well, add no well? i was going to make that point as well i mean obviously it's a devastating thing i mean she's thrown her lot in with this man and uh to be publicly humiliated i mean her, her father's upset etc i'm not surprised she's crying yeah well, and then uh, what Baptista says right after she exits, like, I can't blame you to weep. Like, <laughs> injury like this would vex a saint, and you sure as hell aren't a saint. It's, like, so horrible. It's, like, is this his way of, I mean, good thing she exited, you know. But I do also want to point out that Petruchio comes in and talks about, um, you know, I love that Tranio seems to be like buddy buddy with Petruchio and is like, oh, he he he's good. You're you're unlike <laughs> what yeah. you normally it's like, did you meet him more than once? Um <laughs> I always love that when there's this like implied history that we never hear about between also he's saying that like, no, I know him. He's honest. I know him, he's cool, right? It's yeah. like how how are you making that claim? But that also um the line that stuck out to me was and sent you hither so unlike yourself right so that Petruchio is then saying yep I know this is unlike me and I don't care what people think outside appearances mean nothing to me which I think gets to this point of like don't be so shallow as to think that because I am you know we're gonna get to one of my favorite to me she's married not unto my clothes is one of my favorite lines in this whole play right that it isn't about outside appearances it's it's about our relationship, right? It doesn't matter what we're wearing, <laughs> not wearing. Um, like it's about like it's about the thing between us, and none of you have any business in our relationship. So stop putting in your opinions into our relationship where where it doesn't belong. Um, so let's let's go from. See not your bride in these unreverent robes. Go to my chamber, put on clothes of mine. Not I, believe me, thus I'll visit her. But thus I trust you will not marry her. Good sooth, even thus, therefore had done with words. To me she's married, not into my clothes. Could I repair what she will wear in me, as I can change these poor accoutrements? T'were well for Kate and better for myself. But what a fool am I to chat with you when I should bid good morrow to my bride and seal the title with a lovely kiss. He hath some meaning in his mad attire. We will persuade him, be it possible, to put on better ere he go to church. I'll after him and see the event of this. But sir, love concerneth to add her father's liking, which to bring to pass, as I before imparted to your worship. I am to get a man, whatever he be, it skills not much, will fit him to our turn. And he shall be Vicentio of Pisa and make assurance here in Padua of greater sons that I have promised. So shall you quietly enjoy your hope and marry sweet Bianca with consent. Were it not that my fellow schoolmaster doth watch Bianca's steps so narrowly, twere good methinks to steal our marriage which once performed, let all the world say no. I'll keep mine own, despite of all the world. 
that by degrees we mean to look into and watch our vantage in this business. We'll overreach the graybeard Gremio, the narrow prying father Manola, the quaint musician Amorous Licio, all for my master's sake, Vicentio. Okay, I just want to pause there before Gremio comes in and gives us a great narration about what happens in this church. Um, so finally, right, I'm, I'm taking this from, from, from Robin's commentary in the, the ISE Reader's Edition. Um, she points out that the, to me, <laughs> I'm married, to me, she's married not unto my clothes is a wise and important statement, especially in this play in which everyone is disguised and lying behind the facade of clothes, right? That everyone, on, so many people on stage at this point, right? Like presumably Hortensio is on stage who had been disguised and Lucentio for some reason is still in disguise as Cambio and Tranio is disguised as Lucentio. Like, if Bianca was marrying them for their clothes, she would be marrying Tranio, right? So there is this, um, there is an important role switch that happens when Tranio and Lucentio are finally alone and their roles reverse, though their clothes do not. To me, it's like, it's all pointing to, these are people pretending to be things that they aren't. And I'm trying to get over that with-, with, with, with I'm sorry. As you can probably tell, I don't understand really what's happening with Camille and Lucente here in this little piece. Oh, tr yeah, this is a tricky speech. I was just looking at this speech as like, whoa, ho, ho, ho. I was like, um, but wait. sir, love concerneth us to add. Um, so we need someone, we need the, the father's approval, right? Yes. Um, we need Baptista, his approval. And in order to get that, I need to find someone. It doesn't matter really who. Yeah. He to, seems like he's to, respectable to pretend to be Vincentio of Pisa, who is Lucentio's father. So we need to get someone to pretend it, to be his father to make the assurance that yeah. if you, Lucentio, die before him, that okay, Bianca yeah, would be taken that. care of, right? Um, he already said that to uh, Baptista, right? Yeah, so he, and, and that was where we left um, at the end of Act 2, Tranio going, okay, so I need to find someone, let's get to central casting, I need to find someone who looks like a respectable father figure, right? right? Yeah. Um, I love again, the idea of like... Tranio as like a casting director, that, that would be so funny, yeah. Well, go ahead, <laughs> and then and then Alex. More on the theme of of you know people pretending to be other people and lying and faking and everything, and it's so juxtaposed right next to Petruchio saying you know that he doesn't give a fuck about what things look like. He's just going to be authentic and be himself, and it you know, which I also think that's important for this play because you know. Like it's, I think it's important that the audience perceive that Petruchio is the best man in this play. Mm. Not, you know, he, he may be, you know, rough or whatever with Kate, but he is her best option. Because if he's not, it's just a depressing ass play, right? And so yeah. this is one of those yeah. things where 
he shows his quality even in a very unconventional and rude manner you know he's showing us that his his authenticity and and the the truth of of what's happening here is more important to him than society and their you know uh, preconceived ideas about what marriages are supposed to be and that's very like we admire that i think yeah absolutely ali go ahead i think lucentio is doing the same thing here and that you know, he's totally on board with this plan to just find some dude off the street to pretend to be his dad. And he's not worried about like, yeah, we do need to make sure that if something happens to me, she'll be taken care of. Like that is something we should seriously like consider. Mm -hmm. um, but then also just saying, you know, <clears throat> if, if I had the opportunity, I just elope with her even though the last time they talked, she was like, I don't trust you. I'm not sure about this. <laughs> which would be kidnapping. Um, so I feel like Lucenti is kind of showing his true colors here too. Yeah, and he's very determined, right? We, we really get that. I really got that sense of like, I will keep her as my own bride no matter what the world says. And I'm like, wait, does that include her? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, is she in on this? There's a lot of possessive language happening. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. And then... So it, it is also interesting to me, right? It's like, but sir, right? They have to switch. They have to switch status in this. And then as soon as Gremio comes back in, they have to switch their status roles again. So it's like there's so much playing that is happening in this scene. Um, and and as, as we'll see with Gremio's uh, like reeling from this very... Um, improper ceremony that he attended this marriage ceremony that he is really being that Petruchio is really being as as boisterous and as uh interrupting I don't know it j just as uh as violent a force as Kate as we have seen Kate be in most of the scenes like tying her sister's hands and dragging her around and screaming at her and hitting her sister and hitting Petruchio and hitting Hortensio, like smashing a thing over his head. Like she has had some super out of control behavior. And as we're going to hear from Grumio, I feel like we're meant to recognize that Petruchio's behavior during the marriage is just an imitation of what he has witnessed her behavior has been thus far. Um, so let's get into Let's get into that narration. Senior Gremio, came you from the church? As willingly as ever, I came from school. And is the bride and bridegroom coming home? A bridegroom, say you? Tis a groom indeed, a grumbling groom, and that the girl shall find. Curser than she, why, tis impossible. Why, he's a devil, a devil, a very fiend. Why, she's a devil, a devil. The devil's dam. Tut, she's a lamb, a dove to fool to him, a fool to him. I'll tell you, Sir Lucentio, when the priest should ask if Catherine should be his wife, I, by Gog's wounds, quoth he, and swore so loud that all amazed the priest let fall the book. And as he stooped again to take it up, the mad-brained bridegroom took him such a cuff that down fell the priest and book, and book and priest, thou take them up, quoth he, if any list. What said the wench when he rose again? Trembled and shook. 
for why he stamped and swore as if the vicar meant to cousin him. But after many ceremonies done, he calls for wine. A health, quoth he, as if he had been bored carousing to his mates after a storm, quaffed off the muscatel, and threw the sops all in the sexton's face, having no other reason but that his beard grew thin and hungerly, and seemed to ask him sops as he was drowning. This done, he took the bride about the neck, and kissed her lips with such a clamorous smack, that at departing all the church did echo. And I, seeing this, came thence from, for very shame, and after me I knew the rout is coming. Such a mad marriage never was before. Hark, hark, I hear the minstrels play. Gentlemen and friends, I thank you for, my, for your pains. I know you think to dine with me today and have prepared great store of wedding cheer, but so it is my haste doth call me hence, and therefore here I mean to take my leave. Is it possible you will await tonight? I must await today before night come. Make it no wonder if you knew my business, you would entreat me rather go than stay. And honest company, I thank you all that have beheld me give away myself to this most patient, sweet, and virtuous wife. Dine with my father, drink a health to me, for I must hence and farewell to you all. Oh, let us entreat you to stay till after dinner. It may not be. Uh, let me entreat you. It cannot be. Let me entreat you. I am content. Are you content to stay? I am content you shall entreat me stay, but yet not stay and treat me how you can. Now, if you love me, stay. Grumio, my horse. Aye, sir, they be ready. You oats have eaten the horses. Nay, then. Do what thou canst, I will not go today. No, nor tomorrow, not till I please myself. The door is open, sir, there lies your way. You may be jogging whilst your boots are green. For me, I'll not be gone till I please myself. Tis like you'll prove a jolly surly groom that take it on you at the first, at the first so roundly. Oh, Kate, content thee, prithee, be not angry. I will be angry. What hast thou to do? Father, be quiet. He shall stay my leisure. Aye, marry, sir. Now it begins to work. Gentlemen. Forward to the bridal dinner, I see a woman may be made a fool if she had not a spirit to resist. They shall go forward, Kate, at thy command. Obey the bride, you that attend on her. Go to the feast, revel and domineer, carouse full measure to her maidenhead. Be mad and merry, or go hang yourselves. But for my bonny Kate, she must with me. Nay, look not big, nor stamp, nor stare, nor fret. I will be master of what is mine own. She is my goods, my chattels, she is my house, my household stuff, my field, my barn, my horse, my ox, my ass, my anything. And here she stands, touch her whoever dare. I'll bring mine action on the proudest he that stops by way in Padua. Grumio, draw the, forth thy weapon. We are beset with thieves. Rescue thy mistress if thou be a man. Fear not, sweet wench, they shall not touch thee, Kate. I'll buckler thee against a million. Nay, let them go, a couple of quiet ones. When they not quickly, I should die with laughing. Of all mad matches, never was the like. Mistress, what's your opinion of your sister? That being mad herself, she's madly mated. I warrant him, Petruchio is cated. Neighbors and friends, Though bride and bridegroom wants for to supply the places at the table, you know there wants no junkets at the feast. Vicencio, 
You shall supply the bridegroom's place and let Bianca take her sister's room. Shall sweet Bianca practice how to bride it? She shall, Vincenzo. Come, gentlemen, let's go. Okay, all right. So we had some interesting status negotiations there um, between Kate and Petruchio that I thought were really, really interesting. I wonder if this, all of this, like Petruchio pretending to rescue her from thieves and like talking about how patient and sweet she is has, I would imagine it would have an effect on someone who is being used to call, being called like cursed and a shrew. And then all of a sudden someone's calling her my sweet, beautiful, patient, loving wife. And she's like, wait, what? You know, like there's gotta be something, there's gotta be something a bit jarring about his behavior but i do love the fact that he's it's almost like he's ignoring her protestations whatever they are um it's like oh no don't do your stamping thing that's so two weeks ago you know <laughs> like um i i don't know brit what what are your thoughts on on petruchio like post-marriage here that he's coming right out of the church and i don't know i mean yeah i think it, it it's definitely him just taking the reins and demonstrating to her, you know, like you said before, the effect that her actions have on others, showing her what it feels like to, to kind of bear the, the receiving end of it because she's never had to kind of suffer the consequences of her actions. And he gets to show yeah. like, Hey, like, yeah, isn't it kind of embarrassing for like the whole family, you know, doesn't it make you look poor, you know, the whole, it reflects on the whole family, that sort of thing. Um, Cause yeah, I had always wondered, about that scene knowing that he shows up I was like is he just truly like making a mockery of her and I think that's such a basic interpretation of it you know especially with some of the language that he uses it's it's quite clear that he's not accidentally showing up like this or just like having you know a drunken frat you know you know the bachelor party that continued on past the bachelor party kind of thing it is all very sort of measured and and with a point and I think he's enjoying himself I that's was something that I took away from it as well is that like there's a little bit of of joy, whether it's because he sees that it's having an effect or, you know, he's just kind of as raucous as the Lord at the very beginning of the play with Mr. Sly there. But um, yeah, I did see him kind of, yeah, not feeling too, I don't want to say, cause of course it's taking it seriously, but yeah, I don't think he at any point is sweating everybody's reactions in this. Yeah, I like that. Well, right. And the only person who changes anything about him is when Kate speaks, he really pays attention, right? Like he's like, nope, I can't, nope, I can't. Sure, 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 sure. Let me entreat you, which to me, has Kate ever entreated anything in her life before? Like we have no indication that she's ever entreated for anything. So it's like, I think there's a fun thing rhythm wise that like, oh, can you stay to dinner? No. Can you stay to dinner? No, no, I'm asking. And there's like, this is different. Everyone's like, whoa, mm-hmm. asking. And then he says, I am content. You have contented me with asking me to stay of course oh i like that i like that thank you for thank you for being so considerate and asking and then of course he gets the upper but it's like she's test to me it's like she's trying a different tactic than she's used before with that let let me entreat you as as she's gonna say at one point in act four i never learned how to entreat i don't know how to do this and she's suddenly realizing, oh, maybe there are different tools that I can use, which to me is like mm-hmm. really, really essential. If we don't understand that she's learned new tools by the end of the play, that last speech is like so gross. 
And to me, it's like, this is her trying out a new tool, which then doesn't work, which is why she then reverts to what she knows, which is like, I'm going to stamp my foot and yell at you and blah, blah, and, and because that's what she knows how to do. Right. So that, that I, I like the idea that each of their interactions here is like testing the waters and Petruchio just, I love Brit, how you were just playing it so cool. I really, really enjoyed that. Cause I think there's something like really, if Petruchio is sort of unflappable, there is something really intimidating about that, that he's like dressed madly, but is just like has incredibly calm behavior. I know most of the time Petruchio in a lot of productions, he'll come on and be totally drunk when he comes in, which to me really takes away from this whole idea of intention as you were talking about that. Like, and there is in the script, he says, if you knew my business, you wouldn't treat me rather go than stay, right? That, that I have important business and I am doing what I can to create a peaceful family home. Yeah, I don't think and, he's trying yeah. to create ruckus. I think if anything, he's trying to, yeah, like just kind of straighten Kate out, you know? So he doesn't want to like create more of a, you know, a fight with her. Mm. He wants to just do it very nonchalantly and smoothly. And if she were to call him out on it, he wouldn't even admit to what he was doing. I feel like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's also, he's also like, this is his first tactic in, in taming her, right? That his first, and he's, he's showing her that he can get, he's showing her how a person can get their way without yelling at people without being rude without saying anything mean or hitting people or right he's 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 demonstrating uh how one can hold one's position firmly without being abusive and which she's like oh i don't know how to do that and at the same time i also think it's super interesting that like his his first step in taming her is to demonstrate his lack of concern for like societal norms and i yeah, i think that's really that's deep important. like that, that in order for her to be able to trust him he has to show that that he's so strong in himself that everyone else's expectation means nothing to him even the way she acts is not gonna have an effect on him he's unflappable in that but I don't know. I don't know. I don't really see Pachuco as being so conniving. I think in this, I, I feel like was I feel like this is actually really emotional for Pachuco. Like I understand the cool thing, but the language, it's really emotional. I mean, it's like I feel like in this this scene, I feel like there's a huge turning point. I mean, obviously it's, it's a marriage, but also for the couple. It's almost like they switch roles. Like Pachuco is kind of having a temper tantrum here saying she is my goods my chattel like there's like something like so I don't I don't hear it as just logical necessarily mm -hmm. and meanwhile then we have we have Catherine it's almost like a role reversal and I feel like maybe in some way Petruchio really is I don't know there is something emotional going on and that and that he was just married or That's I don't know the phrase my ox my ass is actually from the 10 commandments right so he's actually calling upon biblical proportions yeah. to describe their relationship which to me is like hilarious um yeah coy go ahead I, I as i was reading it i i think it's really neat that you said they've, they've switched places because um yeah when when petruchio first comes in and she's just like get out of here and now at the end of this scene she's like well then i'll stay and like that's like we were talking about that 
that lovely um, witty dialogue that they had in the last act and the kind of the looking at it as a, as a choreography and the kind of sidestepping. And that that's what's like, when you sidestep enough, you end up in the opposite side. Yeah. And that's what it felt like. It felt like Catherine had been kind of, she's playing opposite him and he keeps sidestepping her. So before she knows it, she's now fighting for this thing that she initially didn't want, which is yeah. really cool. I think that's really, mm -hmm. really neat. I love that, that there's a physical, there's a physical like 180 that like, she was like, no, I don't want to get married. And then by the end of the scene, she's like, I want to go to my wedding feast. Gosh, yeah. it. and he's yeah, like, you're... sorry, can't do it. You know, like. Yeah. And she uses the same tools to, to get it right. He's, yeah. she hasn't given up her tools yet. Somehow she's using those tools to fight for the exact opposite thing. It's really, it's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Grayson. Yeah, please. Yeah, I was surprised Shakespeare didn't give uh, Katerina more lines. But then I went back and looked uh, in the whole play, Petruchio has 603 lines, Katerina 223. I mean, Tranio has more, 305. And Hortensio, Grumio, Lucentio, they all have roughly what uh, Katerina does. So there's a lot of silence that has been put in the play, I think, by Shakespeare yeah. or Katerina so much so many choices to be made in terms of reacting right mm -hmm. I think that's what's kind of the gift to the actor who gets to play this part mm -hmm. is there is a lot of time on stage of like reacting and you really can choose you know do you mm -hmm. um as as something you know there's the old thing of like okay what do other characters say about you what do you say about yourself what do you say about other characters but as um as uh, when I was doing a workshop with with Ben Crystal, he pointed out in Shakespeare's time, they didn't have the whole script. You only had your lines. So the only thing you know is what you say about yourself, right? And that's that's the core. And, and also, <laughs> sorry to, to poke holes in this sort of like acting thing, but when is what other people think about you ever define like how you act and like your personality you know there, there's like there's yeah. there's a really interesting there's a really interesting thing there about like the social identity of the character and then also the personal identity of a character right and i think kate's social identity is that she just she's a wrecking ball into like most situations um because she she doesn't really to me something else that petruchio is doing is pointing out to her that it's okay to sort of reject the ridiculous civility and the society you just got to do it in a different way you know that that he's yeah. saying we can have our own we can create our own rules but we also we can't be we can't be violent about it uh it is something that i that i took from this at least uh that this this section and then it, it's really sad to me it's that the ending after they exit that everyone's just making fun of kate right as soon as she leaves once again like we're we're making fun of her we're most productions have everyone like start laughing like oh my god that was so insane and what we're gonna see at the end is that none of these people are happy at the end of the play yeah. right and that's important to me that even though bianca and lucentio are married lucentio loses the bet <laughs> and <laughs> does not marry the wife that he thinks he like she is not bianca uh, bless her is not this submissive woman as we learn at the end of the play 
she's like why did you bet my obedience that was a stupid thing to do and he's like what huh like at the end of the play gremio doesn't get his his cake is dough on both sides as he says again Hortensio marries the widow who is like so much higher status than he is that you know, so none of these people who are sort of reveling at somebody else's misfortune or humiliation at the end of the scene actually gets what they want in the end so I think that's really important too to remember yeah Koi go ahead this is just a random cultural reference but it I really like what Elizabeth's been saying about how these two are just like play like playing them as as a perfect match i think is a really interesting uh choice and it just reminded me of of from 30 rock uh the character jenna and the husband that she or the boyfriend that she gets by the end of the series the two of them are just like totally insane and perfect for each other it just it's just not i don't know talking about it just now <laughs> uh, that's all what does it mean so sweet bianca practice how to bride it yeah right i mean that's gross um what does <laughs> to that me mean? It's gross. Um, to me, this Bianca is... take her sister's room. Baptista says, "Yeah, let Bianca." I think take her sister's room here, meaning her place at the table. Not like, yeah, go do it with. <laughs> um, I think what is being said here is like, okay, we to supply the places of the bride and bridegroom at the table, right? Because they're going to be gone. How about Bianca sits in the bridegroom and Tranio as Lucentio, you sit in the bridegroom spot. And then Tranio makes this, what I understand to be a sexual joke of like, is she going to practice how to be a bride? And Baptiste is like, yes, indeed she shall. Which is such a creepy thing for a father to say. I can't even deal with it. No, he's just, he's um, that clueless father from Disney movies. Oh, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes, of course you shall. I didn't get that at all. You know, like exactly. totally. Yeah, totally. And and again, Bianca doesn't get to make a decision. Well, but it's also Ari. It's also that you know this is the the moment that everyone else in the play has been waiting for, which is the point is Kate's finally done. It's Bianca's turn. So made it. Yeah. Right. I I like that Kate is turned into a verb. <laughs> <laughs> he's she's been she's been verb verbed um, to me that that rhyming couplet just felt like just felt like a flex from shakespeare yeah. like and a little mm. do you think like, Check it out. That? do you think that he what what gremio means by petruchio has been cated is that she that he is acting like her is that what is that what that means do you think i think that right? is sort of what i took like she's madly mated oh my gosh and petruchio is also madly mated because he's now married to kate so he's been cated oh. so they're both madly mated um i was just thinking that the gremio might be thinking because he sort of says this earlier that petruchio has been acting so crazy he may be thinking like crazier than kate like he may be thinking petruchio has been has somehow like Become like Kate, Kate has rubbed Kate. off on Petruchio, and now all the craziness yeah. that was once Kate. A, I like that double meaning. Now Petruchio's, and of course he probably doesn't understand that like Petruchio is doing this on purpose to yeah teach her a lesson. He just thinks, oh, Petruchio's crazy now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that. I mean, there is something also we didn't really talk about this, but the Gremio speech about the wedding, where he's like, "Oh my God, Kate is an 
angel compared to she's a dove. She's an angel that actually Petruchio is willing to make himself more outrageous than Kate in order to actually make her look more well-adjusted, you know? Um, And I don't know if that's entirely the intention, but this is how Petruchio is now being talked about as being crazier than Kate, right? right? It doesn't reflect very well on either of them, but it puts Petruchio in the same social space of like oh my god those guys are insane. it's also like the easiest way to make her seem it's like as a publicist <laughs> it's the easiest way to give her an image makeover as opposed instead of changing her behavior just give her something it, to stand next to it's also <laughs> incredibly romantic in a sense because like he's willing to completely trash his own reputation mm-hmm. in order to to make her not be the one that people are laughing at you know like there's something kind of like absurdly sweet about that in a weird way yeah i mean i because if it isn't that to me this play is like so brutal that it's like unplayable unwatchable un uh, undoable it's not, this is not a play about somebody who brutalizes somebody else. It's just not. No, I, I, and I really think, I, I think that's what we're discovering is that a lot of the assumptions that we have about this, this play is one of those plays that comes with a huge amount of baggage. Like you are like 50 pounds overweight paying extra at, you know, <laughs> at the airport check-in for the amount of baggage that this play has. And um, I, I was reading a, friend of the pod, James Shapiro's latest book, um, Shakespeare in a Divided America. Um, And he was talking about the history of this play and how this play has been used to encourage husbands to use physical abuse against their wives. Though there is no, no moment in the play, not a single moment in the play where Petruchio raises a hand to Kate, right? But this is how this has been interpreted and performed for decades and generations. And this is the cultural baggage that we now have. A similar thing um, in terms of the perception of, for example, I I just huge shout out to uh, my sister, (laughs) Izzy, who introduced me to Lolita podcast, um, which is all about the kind of cultural baggage of Lolita and how Nabokov essentially set us up a a perfect test <laughs> to see if we were like civilized human being human beings that could spot a predator and not be seduced by and we utterly have failed uh, as a culture you know and so I feel like this is another one of those that like the the cultural perception of the taming of the shrew is like oh yeah it's about the crazy guy who beats his wife into submission that is not what this play has been about so far right and that is the baggage that you if you were staging this which i i just how do you even do that that you would re, it's a huge uphill battle if you're really trying to do a production that is invested in the text and in this interesting strange testing transformation that is nonviolent. like how do you do that and people go away with going like oh Yes, that play isn't what I thought it was about. And with also without seeming like you are encouraging abusive behavior, you know, which to me, most productions of Taming the Shrew, it's like, oh yeah. And then he beats her into submission. And it's like, are we, is this a comedy? Like, how are we, how are we treating this as a comedy? Yeah, Koi. It's such a great description of of the challenge of, of 
working with Shakespeare because, or any any classic text because there's this identity that it holds in the zeitgeist as opposed to the reality of the text. But then, of course, um, having tried to, you know, like produce or work on shows as well, like you say, OK, well, then we'll just work on one of his other plays. And you realize, no, there's a reason why these ones are always gone back to because the text is so good. You know, there is a tear um, there's tiered, uh, his works are tiered. So the best ones, we have this kind of perception of them that has evolved and maybe gone away from the text over hundreds of years, but the texts themselves are still so much better than some of his other work, let alone other playwrights that it's hard to stay away from them. Yeah, it's true. It's, yeah, I also it's think lot. it's kind of miraculous that Shakespeare seems to have remained thus far, fingers crossed, uncancelable. Oh, you said it. Right? You said it, and now it's going to happen. <laughs> It'll start with it. tabling. <laughs> a lot of people cancel Shakespeare. A lot of people. Yeah. Do. A lot of people say Shakespeare's yeah. not cool. There's nothing to say, but oh, we are yeah. always the most contemporary playwright we have. Right. And there's a lot of historical, like, I think there's a lot of legitimacy to analyze why Shakespeare become became big in like the 17, 1800s out of nowhere and like the ruling class of England and the colonialism there and how they kind of forced it into generations. That That is its own discussion for sure. And but it's actually- way better than anyone else, so. <laughs> it's actually something that um, I'm really hoping to bring in a couple scholars to to talk about the sort of colonial legacy of Shakespeare. I, I recently read a really fascinating book called Shakespeare in Swahili Land um, that talked about how Shakespeare was used as both in the beginning as a colonizing tool and then later as a political tool for radical political po like anti-colonial forces. So I think why I keep coming back to Shakespeare is that it can hold these two things. You know, I'm, my favorite example is Coriolanus that like fascists love Coriolanus and uh, socialists love Coriolanus because they read the play in two di totally different ways. Like it was, fascists yeah. read Coriolanus and they're like, oh my God, this is about how the, like the people are horrible and we need a singular leader. And, you know, like socialist populists sort of will read the play and say, oh my God, this is why we need popular governments because this tyrannical leader is like so horrible and hates everyone. France you know, banned so it, right? France set France banned Coriolanus pre-war in the like early 1900s yeah, because I, of the fascist And just uh, to, to get to this idea that I think we've been sort of circling around that that plays are dangerous. Theater is dangerous. You <laughs> Shakespeare's time they knew that. Every single play had to be signed off, right? And that the essentially the censor was in place in the UK through the 1950s, right? That is a, that is an institution of, of sort of how do we, how do we make it so it's not too dangerous? Cause people get dangerous ideas when they go to the theater. It's a dangerous so, place. So Ari, I feel like this, you know, this play, there's a lot of it that can be sort of, um, spun or played in a certain way to make it more palatable maybe but then there's certain speeches that are that are like that that are like if you're going to do this now how do you get this past the censors as it were and i think that that speech about her being his chattel and all of that that's one of those speeches it's like how how do we how do you play that like how does that 
like, how can an actor get up and say that in 2021? I would start by cutting the horse speech. <laughs> Poor Biandella. Poor Biandella. Watch, watch Kiss Me Petruchio as I wrote on the top because you'll see Raul Julia do an amazing, amazing version of the speech where you understand every single thing he's saying. There's nothing offensive about it. It's like his defense, his like, his like battle call, his like, I don't even know how, but he, she's my everything. What? She is my everything essentially is what this is, what this speech is about. She is everything to me. Yeah. And when you boiled it down to that, as opposed to my ox, my ass, which always like, is like really funny, right? She's my, she's my every, but it's, it's really about, she is this list of property and valuable things she is now taking the place of all of those things that people normally project value onto right Perfect. And that, Perfect. so that that to me is like it doesn't matter that we're both rich right she is my wealth now um which is very romantic you know there's something yeah, I just, very romantic about it, that i didn't even get that romantic if his horse whole... wasn't so awful <laughs> Yes, indeed. It's a great thing to be like, you're more valuable than gold. Thank you. You're more valuable than this terrible horse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Presumably his oxes and stuff are of less. In less Those horse. are probably better. <laughs> Thank you, Elizabeth, uh, for, for pointing me to Kiss Me Petruchio. Raul Julia is such a legend. Oh, my God. It's a and legendary performance. Absolutely yeah. legendary. It's a American legendary performance. It's a legendary Puerto Rican American actor. All right. Yeah, and go. he seems I haven't even seen it, but just a ma- I've seen him in a few roles and I'm just like, "Oh, he would obviously be the perfect Mask. Yeah. It's amazing. And he actually made a documentary of it because it was Shakespeare on the Park, no. <sighs> they knew. They knew they had They knew they had something. He he's incredible. Also his Edmund in King Lear is one of my favorites. Um and actually, shout out to the ISC. We uh, we worked with PBS to do the the premiere of a documentary about about his life. Um, last was it last year? two? What is twenty twenty? Didn't happen two years ago. Thank you, Ellie. Uh, which is very very exciting. And so I I wonder if you can maybe find that on uh, PBS. If if so, I will post a link to it. Um, are there any final thoughts on Act Three? I have to re I have to reaffirm my absolute love of the horse speech. Um, I really I just because I, I, having done some of these, um, you know, more more of this Shakespeare reading recently, realizing how much the horse language is in kind of everywhere and the details that he goes into with the horse language is just, I'm not a driver because I grew up in a metropolis. I don't drive and watching movies like fast and the furious. There's a whole th- culture that I do not understand and a, and a language that just passes me by, but it's a funny magical sci-fi language to me. It's like, Oh, the straight V eight. We got the thing going with the, it's all just words. And it's the exact same thing with this horse stuff for me. Like it reads the exact same way Yeah, um, where it's just, everyone knows the horses we're talking about. Everyone knows the cool horses, the bad horses. Everyone knows a good car, a bad car. And we can talk about all the details and everyone be like, oh yeah, yeah, that's great. Or, oh, that's, oh, that's so bad. Um, I just find that it's just an example of like remembering that Shakespeare was writing for this like very specific time and place and that the audiences would be really 
on it. Like if he's saying this is a shitty horse, everyone's like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, feel yeah like yeah. every time Biondella says like a new awful thing about yeah. the horse, oh. the Shakespearean audience would have been like, oh, oh, ah. yeah. Like, oh yeah. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> so smelly. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. And there is um as just to connect back to some of the tabling episodes, there is a whole thing about like my horse is my baby and my mistress in the henry v with the french which is hilarious and that episode has more swearing and talking about um intimate relations with horses than i think any of our tabling episodes thus far so um i i recommend everyone check it out act four of must henry v. listen <laughs> maybe it's act three i can't remember act three um anyway thank you all for the end of this act three and um yeah 